<laughs> Florida's fourth estate with hosts Ginger Gadsden and Matt Austin, the show where we bring Florida into focus. Hello and welcome to Florida's fourth estate, the happiest podcast on earth. That's what we're going to call ourselves for this single Ooh. edition. I, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm Ginger Gadsden. Hey, glad you're with us. I'm Matt Austin. Yeah, we have a lightning rod of controversy joining us. She is the granddaughter of Roy Disney, who worked very closely with his brother, Walt Disney. Uh, and she is very critical of that company. She blows him up on Twitter. She's been going after him on national TV. And now she's made her own documentary about the film, uh, uh, about the company that yeah. uh, really gave her an insane amount of money. Like she is the heir and one of the heiresses to Disney. Which we're going to find out she does not like being called an a Disney heiress. Uh, so we're talking about Dr. Abigail Disney, of course. She is a fascinating person to, to chat with. And I'm so happy we got the opportunity to just have a conversation with her because as far as billionaires go, she seemed kind of normal. <laughs> yeah. And she's, she's fighting the company that uh, butters her bread. You know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. She's <laughs> sort of doing that, going after Disney. So we're going to okay. talk to her. She's got her documentary mm -hmm. and it's airing locally. We'll see if if she gets egged while she's going, I don't know. People don't are that. very angry about her standing up to the company. That, but I think you'll, yeah. I think you'll be interested to see that interview. But I would okay. like to get to our headlines before we do that. So, the Parkland school shooter. So this this kid who uh, shot up that Parkland school, he killed 17 people. 17 more were injured. Awful story. He admits to doing it. Now he is getting sentenced in the state of Florida down there in Miami. And the judge was not happy with the way his lawyers were going about uh, this situation as they presented their case and finished way earlier than they were supposed to. So the deal is they said they were going to call 80 witnesses. Nope. They called 25 and just were, said, hey, we're done. And then we're the done. prosecution... They, they weren't ready for it at all, so the judge was furious. Here's her. I just want to say, this is the most uncalled for, unprofessional way to try a case. You, you all knew about this, and even if you didn't make your decision until this morning, to have 22 people plus all of this staff and every attorney march into court, be waiting as if it's some kind of game. Okay, yeah. never a good sign when the judge Do not waste her time mm -mm. so and, and i mean courtrooms they they have very strict schedules it's the judge's job to keep everything going because they have a yeah. jury there you know they're everything is just so important to keep it on schedule and when and especially uh, this case which is so high profile right. you know and someone's life is you know he's either going to be sentenced to death or life in prison and so to say okay we were, we were going to call 80 people but here's what we have she's thinking we all could have had the day off or i could have done something else besides have you come in and say oh we're done next yeah so it seems intentional because you don't just have 55 witnesses all of a sudden not show up and that's what happened it throws the whole throws there. the whole feng yeah. shui of the courtroom off so we'll see what happens with that. yeah absolutely okay so she was uh firing off at uh you know the uh lawyers there we had something that fired off but didn't go as planned we're talking about blue origin uh this is the jeff bezos uh rocket the new shepherd rocket 
and you see what happened right there, it launched and it didn't quite go as planned. And on board, this is out of West Texas, by the way, not uh, here in, in Central Florida where we have a bunch of launches, but it launched, but it had a bunch of experiments on board. And one of those experiments was from a school here in Central Florida. It's the Neo City Academy. So all the kids were having a watch party in the classroom. The reporters were there watching the kids watch this thing go up because Blue Origin hasn't really suffered this kind of anomaly, but you know, like this. And so these poor kids, they're ready to go. And one kid in particular, I want to show you his reaction when he saw this thing go sideways. Oh my gosh. No. And here they were all just stunned. Stunned. As they watched their experiments just go up in flames. Well, I think some of them were saved. They're not saying yet which ones were because the abort system worked. So nothing like blew up with it, we think. Um, we're still waiting to hear back. So it land, the parachutes deployed, it landed gently in that dust pile in the desert, <laughs> which I guess that's gentle. Um, it didn't, expl- you know, it didn't crash land. So we're still trying to figure out if all those experiments were saved and if they will get another chance to fly again. So I hope so for those kids yeah. sake, because I, it was, it was heartbreaking to see them. I hope they <laughs> get reaction. another chance. It always does make me laugh how, space company sugarcoat things they go oh we had an anomaly anomaly. oh no your rocket blew up (laughs) Uh, i wish when i screwed something up i got to say oh matt said something dumb again another anomaly you only anomaly anomalies happen one time and they don't happen because you messed up so i'm trying to place blame but i think we need to be very careful about our verbiage Let's start using anomaly for when <laughs> our bosses complain. Well, you know, that was, you didn't show up for work. That was an anomaly. It was an anomaly. Was- Matt screwed up the podcast again. Well, that's, it was just an anomaly. Don't worry, boss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no problem. All right. Next story is something that's going to oh. get Ginger a little angry. Okay. And not uh, a little, a lot angry. And I'm just going to, I'm going to put up the picture here of, of the article from clickorlando.com. If you're watching, it says, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, tailgater, reptile seen tied to a vehicle on I-95 in Brevard County. It appears this gator is real. It's not alive, but it is a ginormous alligator tied to the rear bumper of like some sort of SUV driving down 95. It's so big, its head is curled and its tail is curled together so that it's not going outside of the width of the vehicle. And this was happening just south of Melbourne and it's gator hunting season. Ginger, they had to get their gator home to process it. Why does this bug you so much? You know, I understand that it's gator hunting season and I don't care that you want to hunt an alligator. I just am concerned by the transport system of the corpse. And it just bothered me <laughs> because I I love I love people I love animals and I feel like there should be some sort of respect for life and even if you're the person you you ended this gator's life I just wanted it to be treated with a little more respect than being 
tie to the back of this guy's SUV. If you know you're going to bag something this big, maybe rent a truck, maybe have a friend come pick it up. I, I just didn't like that. It was, it was humiliating to for me. And then, you know, some people thought it was funny. I don't even like the, the little cutesy caption tailgater. I, I don't know. I, I just think that we should respect life a little more than that. And it's, it's already dead. You've already won. You don't have to parade it around uh, on the back of your car. And I know you're just trying to get home to make your wallet and belts and boots, but whatever. For me, That's- I feel like they didn't have too many. You're right. They could have had a friend with a truck, but if I have an SUV and I just killed a 12 foot alligator, I'm not throwing the corpse in with my leather seats. I think, I don't think they were trying to show off. I think they just, you know, they didn't have many options in this case. You could strap it. Would it, would you be more comfortable if they strapped it to the roof? Really, man? Really? <laughs> Do you think that would make me feel better? Let's just put it as a hood ornament then if we're going to talk about strapping it to the car. Um, No, no, I just didn't. I didn't want to see it. And I think it would be frightening to anyone who's driving on I-95 and seeing this thing. You know, I, I get it. I'm not criticizing the person who hunted it and killed it. I just am criticizing the transport system. Okay. That's all. That's fair. That's all. That's That's fair. I'll tell you. I would rather see the gator there than in my backyard pond because I would not want that big the, monster swimming around. The, the backyard where you you built a house on the gator's land? Okay. It's a anyway. dog-eat-dog uh. dog world. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Hey, that is a very Florida story. We are talking something as Florida as it gets. Oranges yeah. and Disney World. Ah. Uh. Oh, sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, but no, we're going to bring in the drama. We've got Dr. Abigail Disney, a member of the Disney family, who is very upset with the way the company is going. We'll talk to her right after a quick break. Hi there, and welcome back to Florida's Fourth Estate. We have a fascinating guest for you today, maybe a lightning rod of controversy in this area. I don't know, but I'm very interested to talk to her, Ginger. We are so excited, Matt. I honestly didn't think she would sit down and talk to us, but she is. And we're talking about Dr. Abigail Disney. Her grandfather was Roy Disney and her great uncle was Walt Disney. They built Disneyland and Disney World. Now she doesn't have any control over the company. We wanna be clear on that, but she has benefited greatly from it. And now she has a bone to pick with the way things are being done there. So she's made a documentary about it, a movie. How many of you know somebody who works at Disney who slept in their car in the last couple of years? And it will be premiering at the NZN here in Orlando. That's right. And this is is something that either Orlando people love Disney or don't like Disney. And, And she has become a pretty controversial character in this. We're glad that you could join us for this podcast, though. Abigail Disney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Do you currently have any financial interests in the Disney company? Yeah, of course. I own many, many shares, although nobody at that company owns enough shares to 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 make a dent in it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I benefit by that company for sure. Okay, so before we go uh, further into the conversation, we got a chance to do a screening of the the film, the documentary. For those who do not know what it is about. Can you give us a synopsis and then we're going to do a deep dive into some of the, the things that you talk about? Sure, sure. I, I grew up 
going with my grandfather, you know, in through the cast member entrance to the park. And uh, I remember the people who worked there with incredible affection. And uh, there was a great deal of affection between my grandfather and them as well. And um, I saw the relationship change over the decades with management. And I saw the nature of the way workers were treated there and frankly, everywhere else uh, in America over the last 50 years. And I wanted to make a film about why it changed so dramatically, how, and and uh, what we can do about it. Obviously, yeah, there are, are some big Disney fans in Orlando. Some people are basically obsessed with it. And when I've talked to some of them and asked them their impressions of you and, and your plight here, some of them seem to get a little angry from mm. that side. I, I've heard uh, yeah. some sort of demonization of you. So... At this point, how do you feel about Disney? Do you do you hate Disney? Do you because you've kind of become the anti-Disney in some circles? <laughs> you know, I would say I probably love Disney more than any other super fan could possibly love Disney. You know, it it's in my DNA. It's it's down to my toes. And I can remember every detail and every nuance of both of those parts. Um, I will tell you, though, that if you really, really, really love something, you have to see it truthfully and you have to speak the truth about it. And um, it's not perfect. I, 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 I wish it were. Um, but I happen to think that if you're running the happiest place on earth, but people who mm. work there can't really get food on the table, then there's a problem. And should I just let the thing that I love keep going on that way or should I do my best to change that? Yeah, and it seems like you're doing your best to to make a difference and change that. The the film, by the way, is called The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales. And it is the American dream. So many people spend their lifetime as a child dreaming of working for the company, right? And then they get there and it's like anything else. It's like a relationship. You get into the relationship and you're like this is not the way I thought this was going to go, but I'm in love with it and I'm going to see where it takes me. So what do you tell people? Because one of the things that I took away from the film is that, okay, these people have worked for the company for so long, but they can't make a decent wage or even a decent living or make ends meet. Why do they stay? You know, they stay because Disney is something extraordinary. Disney isn't isn't like any other company or any other place on the world. And it, 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 it speaks to our deepest dreams and, our, and the love we have for community and family. It's a little transcendent, you gotta, you gotta admit it. And so people stay because there's meaning there for them. And don't we all need meaning in our work lives? But, but what concerns me is that um, the company, the management knows that about the people who work there. And in many ways that gives them the latitude to push down on wages, to to be really rough around hours and things, other things like this. And um, it's being used against a lot of people. I do want to say, so in recent years, Disney has made some attempts to try to better this relationship between them and their employees. They've gone up to $15 an hour. They have a, a deal where they will pay the tuition for many Disney cast members. What do you think about that? Is that enough? Is that is that not enough for you? Are we moving in the right direction? We're moving in the right direction. There's no question. But two things. The, the tuition question is an interesting one because it gets thrown back at me as 
um, a great way to not have to pay people more. And the fact is, if you, if you scrub the floors all day today, you should be paid for the work you did today. And if there's a company that wants to give you also tuition above that, that's, that's great. But basically what you're saying is eventually I'll pay you more if you take this class, but it's not about the work you did today. Right. And so that's not a way of helping people pay the bills. And, and that's, what's important. I made an agreement with you to sell you basically mm -hmm. my time. And in exchange for that, you have said you're going to pay me. And in this country, we want to believe that people who work full time and follow the rules and do what they can should at least make enough to pay the rent, to get from point A to point B without a problem and to educate their children and feed everybody. Yeah. And many of the points that you make in this movie, it's like from scene to scene, it's like an onion. Something else is revealed. And, you know, uh, we're also in the backyard of SeaWorld here, Orlando. And when Blackfish came out, that had a huge impact on the company's bottom line. Do you feel there is a possibility that your film will have that same impact or what are you hoping? Well, if, if you doubt my intentions, you should you should look at who's going to benefit by this film. I'm certainly not going to make any money on it. And um, if it hits the stock price, it's going to hurt me. So if you doubt me, I'm probably telling the truth <laughs> because <laughs> I have everything to lose by being right. Disney can make money and still be a visionary company, a company that supports the well-being of their employees. Both of these things can coexist. Unfortunately, at this moment, in the way we run businesses in this country, we've come to believe that these things are mutually exclusive, that managements must always get workers for as little as they can possibly get workers. It's not necessary and it's not good for the company over the long term. The way my grandfather treated employees, yes, he had problems with unions. No, he was not a perfect employer, but he treated people with respect and dignity and they came back year after year after year. That's why the company has the reputation that it has that they continue to use to employ people that reputation, but they've long since stopped treating people that well. So you can treat people well, you won't have as much turnover. There's, it goes to your bottom line if you treat people well. And so this belief that management mm -hmm. has, to, has to skimp and, and treat people like Ebenezer Scrooge all the way through the employment process is, is simply a bad idea. It's hurting the country and it's hurting individual people. And frankly, in the long term, it's hurting Disney. And, and do you think if your grandfather and your great uncle were alive today to see how much CEOs making $65 million a year and to see employees having to sleep in their cars and go to food pantries, what do you think their reaction would be to that? You know, I think I, I was very close to my grandfather. He was, I was 12 when he died. Um, but uh, I was very close to him and I think I understand the man that he was. I cannot imagine that he would rest his head on the pillow at night and sleep well, knowing with $66 million in the bank or $65 million that there were people who couldn't put food on the table who worked for him full time. So first of all, I think a CEO is like the captain of an ocean liner. Right. And if the ocean liner is going along and it hits an iceberg, it's his obligation to stay there and make sure everybody gets on the lifeboats. So, you know, if if you're going to take six, I don't have a problem with your sixty five million dollars. I really don't bless you. You're welcome to it. But don't take it until everybody's fed. 
I, I really think that like the way that we have separated in our imaginations, what happens for the CEO and what happens to the employees is a terrible, terrible um, violation of the nature of equity. We're all just people. And as my grandfather used to say, when he would come into the park and pick up a piece of garbage, it was always the first thing he did. He would say, there nobody is too good to pick up a piece of car garbage. And I want everyone who works here to know that I believe that. Wow, that, that's pretty powerful. And so you're seeing this growing up, but the thing that was instrumental in you creating this particular film is that you received an email from someone, right? Would, had you not received that email, would you be doing this? Is this the person you really, would you be finding a way to make it better for employees there? Or would it be one of those lost opportunities had you not heard from this particular person who sent you an email? I, I think I might have missed it. I think that, that, that it was a Facebook message and um, I, I think I might've missed this. I have been for many years thinking that that company is, it's too big, it has nothing to do with, what can I possibly do, right? And by the way, if I, if I try to do something there, I'm only just, look at me, I'm only gonna look like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I look like a weirdo, I'm very aware of that. Only a weirdo would do what I'm doing. Um, but if somebody comes to you as a human being and says, I work full time and I live below the poverty line and I cannot feed my four children, are you really going to turn away from that? Are you really going to look the other way and say, well, that has nothing to do with me? You know, the quote that I use at the beginning of the film is a Gwendolyn Brooks, brilliant, brilliant poet. Her, her line is, we are each other's business. Mm -hmm. And we have to take out of business that the, the idea that none of us is each other's business. We, we need to restore humanity to our business consciousness. I'm curious what repercussions you have seen from this. I, I would imagine your family is not super happy. I, I, you put some of them in the documentary and they seem to be uh, semi-supportive of your venture. So not just... The, your family, but from Disney fans who are quite rabid in many cases. Yeah. And also, like, do you still go to the parks? What what would happen if you took yourself <laughs> over to It's a Small World? Would you would people throw stuff? What would happen at this I, point? I, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I haven't been to the park in a, in a long time, not since I last visited the workers there. Um, I don't think I don't know if anybody would recognize me. I really don't know. Um, oh, they would recognize but, you. I think we could say. Think so? I think so. <laughs> so maybe I'll get a turkey leg thrown at me. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, you know, the thing about repercussions is um, if you're doing the right thing, then you have to be willing to take them. And I have checked my gut again and again on this. I do not enjoy criticizing this company. I do not enjoy taking the grief that I take. Um, but every so often I, in the middle of the night, when I'm lying there awake, wondering why I'm doing this, I think about the fact that, you know, companies across this country rely on the presumption that what happens to their employees is irrelevant to their business plans. And that is simply not true. It's just not true. Mm. And we have lived now for decades on this assumption that if wealthy people do well, everybody benefits. And we know it's not true. How many times does it have to be demonstrated to us 
as untrue. So I, I just can't sit silently by and, and reap my dividends and all the growth in those shares and live as comfortably as I do and pretend that the people who work there are not an integral part of all my comforts. And therefore, um, I can't pretend that I'm not engaged with them in some important way. Yeah, one of the things you say uh, also in the in the documentary is that having the name Disney is like having a superpower you didn't ask for. So it seems like you are trying to use that superpower for good, not evil. That's exactly right. You know, because like I can use my superpower to get a really nice table in a restaurant. <laughs> I, I can use my superpower to make people take my phone call. And, you know, I'm talking to the senators and the Congress people all the time because they want to raise money from me that like any name, but, uh, and, and any amount of money will get you those superpowers, but the two together are really quite something when you want to work them. Um, if I don't work mine for good, what kind of yeah. Disney princess am I? <laughs> <laughs> I you know, you talk question. about being in front of high powered people. Every time you adjust your glasses, I look at your hand to see if you're wearing the ring and I know you know which ring I'm talking about. Oh, <laughs> Yes. Do you only wear that for special occasions? I only wear that when I'm channeling my grandpa. <laughs> I should have been channeling him now, honestly. I love that ring to death. Uh, are you going to say what the ring is, Ginger? <laughs> now that you brought it up? It's Mickey, and my grandfather gave it to me when I was like maybe five, six years old for Christmas one year, and it's pretty special. That's okay, so that, wasn't, that wasn't the one that I was talking about. No, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I forgot about that ring. <laughs> I didn't. I think that's her power ring, and I don't think we can go into it. You gotta watch the documentary if you want to hear more. Every about time that you adjust your glass, I'm like, I don't see the ring. I don't see the ring. <laughs> She's looking. I, I, mean, I really should be wearing it too. Uh, oh my gosh, Ginger, way to way to take a turn. No, no, no. Okay, so taking another turn, I, you know, when we, I was so excited we were going to get a chance to talk to you because I don't know of another opportunity we will have to ever speak to you. And this is as close to face-to-face -face as we will get. So I started just watching all these YouTube things that you, these interviews that you've done. And one thing that struck me, especially when you talk about the Gwendolyn Brooks uh, quote that we are each other's business, you talk about one of your heroines, I guess, and her name is Abig Angelina Grimke. And yes. when I started researching her, she's from Charleston, South Carolina, as am I. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about why this woman resonates with you? Because I find that story so fascinating. It's so important, that story, isn't it? It really changes you to know about her. She was born to one of the wealthiest plantation-owning families in South Carolina, very famous family. Um, she grew up, obviously, in enormous privilege in a slave-owning family. Um, she ran away from home for the first time when she was 12 because she saw her father beat one of the people that they had been buying and selling, and she couldn't bear it. She just couldn't bear it. Um, she was dismissed as overly emotional, and, um, you know, she just had to grow up. She, if she matured, you know, she would stop acting so emotionally. But, of course, she was right. Um, when she was in her 20s, she left her family. Her family disowned her. Uh, her sister, Sarah, eventually joined her in the North and they became very well-known abolitionist speakers across, you know, and they worked until slavery was abolished. So I, I think it's really important because I, I kind of study traitors um, because people call me a traitor all the time. Um, and when you think of traitors, you think of Benedict Arnold. But um, 
other kinds of traders are the people who walk away from the privilege or question um, the comforts they were born into um, and ask themselves, is there a higher loyalty? And I believe I have a loyalty higher than Disney, and that's to my fellow human beings. Very, very interesting and interesting that you draw parallels there. I can see that. I am curious. I know you, you talk a lot about uh, the employees, and that is a big focus of yours uh, because that has to do with a lot of your interaction. Disney has really been raising prices. Not only are they not paying their employees as much as you say they should, they're also charging a ton. I mean, when you go to the parks, the the price has risen so exponentially over what people are making. A middle-class family really can't afford to go to Disney anymore. How do you feel about that aspect? And, and from what we see, we cover them every day. I see them building multi-million dollar neighborhoods right next to Disney that none of us could ever even dream of owning one of those homes and special clubs inside of Disney that cost just crazy amounts of money. How do you feel about Disney's impact on just the regular person who doesn't even work there? My, 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 my heart really breaks that it's um, stopped being available or accessible rather for the majority of Americans now because the experience of Disney is, is, is really in many ways the most the best most beautiful american experience you could possibly have and if americans can't afford it then we're we're all in trouble really um actually i understand the pressures the company is under um and i i believe that they're doing what business school tells them to do right but this is precisely the problem and why i made this film because what business school thinks you should do isn't necessarily in line with um what's best for people, humans, and really that has to be the higher priority. Customers, the longtime fans, the people who have season passes especially, they have really sacrificed a lot to have those passes, to be there as often as they are, and they their loyalty is getting is less and less valuable to the company. And I think that's I think it's bad for the company over the long term. Um, and it's and it's bad bad for America, honestly. And and like I understand why prices have to go up, but profit margins don't. They don't have to rise. And so you really have to look at why is the company doing what it's doing? Is there another way to ensure that they function as a company? You know that Wall Street doesn't punish them too hard for making decisions that they make, but not squeeze every single individual person who comes into that park as though they're the goose that's maybe got one last golden egg in it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is so I like to play this game you and you don't know me but I'm one of 15 kids. Oh. And so every every year when the prices go up for Disney, oh. I always do the calculations. And so Ouch. at this rate, it would take almost two thousand dollars for us to just get into the parks yeah. <laughs> one day is that one day that's one day that's oh one day that's God. per ticket oh, wow. <laughs> so there well, are charts you can find on the internet that track um, cost of living with the price of a yeah. disney admission yeah. it's yeah. The, the, it's really wacky it makes no yeah. sense well, people save their entire lives for this one trip, yeah. and if so, you know, and that's why they they do work hard to make sure that it is the best experience possible. But if one thing goes wrong, it's ruined for that whole family. 
And isn't that why the people who work there are so, so, so important? Because they really are the people who are like, in a way, midwifing that incredible experience that a family has saved for years and years to have. They're so important Mm -hmm. and valuable. And you heard in, in in the film what Ralph describes himself as. He's a guy who comes in in the middle of the night. You never meet him. He cleans the place. He scrubs it. He leaves it sparkling. He gets all that gum off the sidewalks. And you walk into this immaculate place and he says, we're the ones who spread the pixie dust at night. That's how he sees himself. Like, how can you treat an employee like that Mm. any less than beautifully? Yeah. And he's struggling to feed his family. I do want to ask you uh, one question that uh, when you're kind of confronted with politicians, uh, they say you're a communist or a socialist. Are you, in fact, a communist or a socialist? (laughs) Let's get her on the record. Yeah, let's get her on the record right now. (laughs) I am not now, nor have I ever been a communist, (laughs) nor socialist for that matter. I I really think that there's a distance between socialism and what we have now. And the distance is so vast that there are a lot of steps that we could take away from the cliff's edge where we stand back towards some kind of humanized, moderated capitalism. And it would be a long way from socialism. And believe me, I have four children. I know how angry they are and how their generation sounds when they talk about business. If we don't fix capitalism, we're going to get communism or socialism, whether we like it or not. So let's just fix the thing we have. And by the way, that's that's how I feel about Disney, too. I don't want to destroy Disney. I don't want to ruin Disney. I love it more. I challenge you to try and tell me you love it more than I do. (laughs) I, I criticize it because I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm, you know, I think that's surprising to a lot of people because I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect when we were going to, to speak with you. But I feel like people will be surprised <laughs> to learn how much you actually love it and care about it and, and want it to just be its best, uh, a, the best version of itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if Disney chose to lead the way? If Disney chose instead of to pay the minimum wage or to pay the least amount that they can get away with from a public relations standpoint, if they like step forward into a living wage, which is a long way from a minimum wage in any state in this country, um, what would follow on from that? What would other businesses feel able to do were Disney to choose to lead? That is a very fascinating question. I don't think we're going to see the answer to it, unfortunately, because you are battling quite a bit of corporate greed. But I appreciate that you took the time to talk to us about it. If you would like to check out this documentary, it is at the Enzian Theater in Orlando. You can actually do a Q&A section. If you're listening to this later, I'm sorry, but September 16th, it'll be at the Enzian 23rd in New York and other markets and video on demand. She's doing a Q&A at 6.15 at the Enzian on Friday, September 16th. Thank you so much. Abigail Disney, we appreciate you stopping by. It's been a pleasure. Good to see you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.